there is a, a right shirt to put on and a wrong shirt to put on. And this morning I put on the wrong shirt. I put on a shirt without a breast pocket. And that's a silly thing that I won't repeat. Because when I had a shirt yesterday with a breast pocket, I was able to put my iPhone turned upside down in my breast pocket and read Wanderlust. A History of Walking by Rebecca Solnit, with ease, relative ease anyway. But continuing the first chapter of this book, the last sentence in the previous part of chapter one goes as follows. It is the movement, as well as the sights going by, that seems to make things happen in the mind. And this is what makes walking ambiguous and endlessly fertile. It is both means and ends, travel and destination. Continuing now, the old red dirt road built by the army had begun its winding uphill course through the valley. Occasionally I focused on the act of walking, but mostly it was unconscious, the feet proceeding with their own knowledge of balance, of sidestepping rocks and crevices, of pacing, leaving me free to look at the roll of hills far away and the abundance of flowers close up. Brodia, the pink papery blossoms whose name I never learned, an abundance of clover-like sourgrass in yellow bloom, and then halfway along the last bend, a paper-white narcissus. After twenty minutes trudge uphill, I stopped to smell it. There used to be a dairy in this valley and the foundations of a farmhouse and a few straggling old fruit trees still survive somewhere down below, on the other side of the wet, willow-crowded valley bottom. It was a working landscape far longer than a recreational one. First came the Miwok Indians, then the agriculturalists themselves rooted out after a century by the military base which closed in the 1970s, when coasts became irrelevant to an increasingly abstract and aerial kind of war. Since the 1970s, this place has been turned over to the National Park Service and to people like me who are heirs to the cultural tradition of walking in the landscape for pleasure. The massive concrete gun placements, bunkers and tunnels will never disappear as the dairy buildings have. But it must have been the dairy families that left behind the live legacy of garden flowers that crop up among the native plants. Now we're getting into... This woman is such a good writer, isn't she? I mean, this is not prose you walk past without turning your head. Walking is meandering. And I meandered from my cluster of narcissus Actually, I've got to pause for a second. My cluster of narcissi. Why isn't it narcissi rather than... Interesting. Maybe the collective... No, I'm pretty sure... I always called it narcissi. I used to grow them for my mother. My first uh, bit of entrepreneurship. That's another story. Okay, back here. I meandered from my cluster of narcissus in the curve of the red road, first in thought and then by foot. The army road reached the crest and crossed the trail, 
that would take me across the brow of the hill, cutting into the wind and downhill before its gradual ascent to the western side of the crest. By the way, I'm, I'm walking along a trail. To my right, thistles, some which are in bloom, well, all of which are in bloom, but some which are in seed, and on my left-hand side, dock leaves, all of which are ready to have their seeds blown to propagation and the continuation of the species. And underneath my feet, every now and again, is a stone big enough to cause me to almost, but not quite, stumble. Where was I? Back at the, chapter, the paragraph that said walking is meandering. Uh, let me just have a look here. On the ridge top above this footpath, facing into the next valley north, was an old radar station surrounded by an octagon of fencing. Oh God, I love this woman. The odd collection of objects and cement bunkers on an asphalt pad were part of a Nike, no, Nike? Nike missile guidance system, a system for directing nuclear missiles from their base in the valley below to other continents, though none were ever launched from here in war. Think of the ruin as a souvenir from the cancelled end of the world. I'm going to read another paragraph. This is so good, I want to dwell on it as I'm reading it. I don't read books twice, really, but this, this is beautiful prose. It was nuclear weapons that first led me to walking history as a trajectory as surprising as any trail or train of thought. I became in the, 18, in the 1980s an anti-nuclear activist and participated in the spring demonstration demonstrations in the Nevada test site, a Department of Energy site the size of Rhode Island in south, southern Nevada, where the United States has been detonating nuclear bombs, more than a thousand today, since 1951. The pause means shock. I didn't know it was that many. Sometimes nuclear weapons seemed like nothing more than intangible budget figures, waste disposal figures, potential casualty figures to be resisted by campaigning, publishing and lobbying. The bureaucratic absence of both the arms race and the resistance to it could make it hard to understand that the real subject was and is the devastation of real bodies and real places. Around my waist is a, a lead rope for a pony. It actually also doubles as a lead for a dog, and I had to pause because the knot was one of these knots, lazy knots, which open if you puff your tummy out. Uh, now, Paul, concentrate. You've got a reputation for this. The bureaucratic abstraction in real places. At the test site, it was different. The weapons of mass destruction were being exploded in a beautifully stark landscape. We camped near for the week or two of each demonstration, exploded underground after 1963. 
though they often leaked radiation into the atmosphere anyway and always shook the earth. We, that we we made up of the scruffy American counterculture, but also survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Buddhist monks and Franciscan priests and nuns, veterans turned pacifist, renegade physicists, Kazakh and German and Poly Polynesian activists living in the shadow of the bomb and the Western Shoshan, whose land it was, had broken through the abstractions. Beyond them were the actual actualities of place, sites, of actions, of sensations. Of handcuffs, thorns, dust, heat, thirst, radiation risk, the testimony, testimony of radiation victims, but also of spectacular desert light, the freedom of open space, and the stirring sight of the thousands who shared our belief that nuclear bombs were the wrong instrument with which to write the history of the world. We bore a kind of bodily witness to our convictions, to the fierce beauty of the desert, and to the apocalypses being prepared nearby. The form our demonstrations took was walking. What was on the public land side of the fence, a ceremonious procession became, on the off-limits side, an act of trespass, resulting in arrest. We were engaging on an unprecedentedly grand scale in civil disobedience or civil resistance, an American tradition first articulated by Thoreau. I'm going to stop there because there's a more to come about Thoreau. And he's one of the good guys. There's, I'm just... Well, it's okay to share what I think here. I've got no, got no self-consciousness about it. I feel like writing to this woman. No, first step first, Google her. Find out who she is, find out where she is, find out how old she is, find out, find out what she's done. In other words, do my research. In order to be able to say something other than, oh, I love the way you write. Oh, what's your secret? Please give me tips on how to become a better writer or else, good on you, woman. You stop the apocalypse, you and your kind. No. Now I've lost the... So there we are. That's my style. Do your research. Don't rush, don't rush into enthusiasm any more than you have to. That, that, that is uncontrollable and unpredictable. But, what, so what? My style is mine. Your style is yours. And I wish you style you're satisfied with. That's what matters. The style that is you. Or a style that helps you move beyond the copying 
of other people's style, the style of people whom you may perhaps admire, but isn't you. You never know. The style that is you may not even be one that you admire. The way something is read, whether it be prose or poetry, is, is packed full of things a detective is interested in. Firstly, of course, it's the content of what the author has written. What has the author written? How has the author composed the work? That's all to be found by listening to the reading. And that's the base level, I guess. That's the level at which you get facts. You get an opportunity to exercise your imagination because no author fails to give you an opportunity to exercise your imagination even if they list every single thing that is to be seen, felt and heard in the manner of Proust. But there's more to it than that. There's the reader. What does the reading tell you about the reader? Well, it tells you a whole list of things. But I'm not actually going to say what I think those things are because it's actually the thought that the way in which reading takes place reveals an extraordinary amount about the reader that I feel like just saying that and I I trust that anyone who listens to this will be able to fill in the dots or what comes after the colon or whatever way they want to produce a list of all the things that a reading reveals about the reader.